Hello, beautifuls. Welcome back to Her Sexual Space podcast. I am your host, Janice Leonard, licensed professional counselor and sex therapist here in Texas and Colorado. Before we get into today's episode, please note that while we aim for relevant and relatable topics to explore, these episodes are not a replacement or a substitute for your own relationship with a mental and or sexual health professional. This episode is sponsored by Simple Practice. Running a private practice is rewarding, but it can also be demanding. Simple Practice changes that. This practice management solution helps you focus on what's most important, your clients. By simplifying the business side of the private practice, like billing, scheduling, and even marketing. Stick around for a special offer at the end of this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Sexual Space Podcast. On today's podcast, we have Chris Bailey. She is the founder of Birth and Baby Services, LLC, a solution mom of two daughters and a golden doodle. Living the city life, working as a birth and postpartum doula, supporting families, welcoming newborns into their lives. She enjoys creating mood-based playlists and healthy meals. Chris is coming to us live from New York. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hi, Janet. Thanks for having me. Good morning or whatever. Of course. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's morning. Definitely early morning, Saturday morning. How are you today? I am good. I am good. I am sitting in gratitude and yeah, just happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you, Chris. I've been chasing you for a minute now. <laughs> I've been too busy. <laughs> I, I, I need to transition from being a busy mess to just being, no, just being okay. You, you're working. You're working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. Well, I am so happy to have you here today. And I couldn't end the year without having you bless our listeners with your work and I just want you to share, you know, how do you show up in the world? Just share some of that with our listeners. I show up in the world as a Black woman who is straight, um, polyamorous, fun, living a, a mindful life. I think that's how I show up. Love it. Love it. So you, I feel like Chris, you went from, you went from when I, when I knew you in college, you were in accounting, right? Did you do business or was Mm -hmm. it just accounting? Yeah. I have an accounting, I have a major in accounting and a minor in theater. Nice. Nice. How did you transition? You know, walk me through the story behind your business. And of course I, I see how things come together. Like I see, even when I look back on my degrees, now I see how everything comes together. So I wonder what was your transition into that space? What was that like? 
So I'm a birth and postpartum doula now, and I've been doing this for seven years. And it all started when I moved to New York City with a then three-month-old and an accounting degree, as mentioned. I started working um, in corporate America when I came, and it was too much. I would leave very early in the morning. I would be back home very late. Um, and I wasn't getting time with my child. I wasn't getting time for me. Um, the work was very demanding. And I, I was like, I need something where I could either work from home or work with my baby. Um, and even thinking about working with my baby seemed like so far-fetched and just so like non-existent. But I was like, that's kind of what I want. Yeah. Um, I was applying for regular jobs and stuff. Um, and my cousin's wife actually had a business where she trained doulas and she had this opportunity where she needed someone to manage their books. Okay. And of course I am an accounting major. And <laughs> she was like, I, I don't know how to do, um, QuickBooks. You're, you're an accounting major. You come do this. And I was doing it for a couple of months and I got to bring my baby to work with me into the office every day, baby wearing and doing all the things. And I think I remember that because you did post some pictures during that time. I think I remember mm-hmm. your, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good to, to, to have those visual memories because yeah. sometimes, you know, the time seems so distant. Um, but yeah, that was, that was us going to work and while I was number crunching they had a training coming up for doulas and I said well you know I want to know more about the company more about you know what the people actually do and I went to the training and I was like whoa this is what I've had like I had very great support in my own childbirth with my my dad especially who I say was Mm -hmm. my doula I had friends who would visit me and be very intentional about when they came over, how they would be supportive of me and my, my kids. Um, and I always felt like I wanted to also give back and do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I realized it was a whole job, a whole career, a whole <laughs> necessity, a whole like necessity, I was like, well, I want to do that. So I did the training and I started, I started off doing mostly birth. Okay. Um, so I started off as a birth doula really. Um, and I eventually just like stopped number crunching. You know, I started my own, my, my own business. I was getting my own clients. Um, and eventually, you know, um, what used to be Kyrie birthing a mix of my children's names. But no one could pronounce it properly, and that's bad for <laughs> business um, or understand it. Yeah. So I went straight to okay, this is birth and baby services. I'm helping people in birth, and I'm helping them um, learn their newborns and and learn themselves as new parents in a new role. So that's kind of how I went from accounting major into the health and reproductive space. Oh my goodness. That's an amazing story of progression. And I mean, even as you talk about birth and baby service, I'm like, that is so Googleable. Like mm-hmm. that works for the, you know, the SEO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you that probably get a lot of hits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but share with me, um, 
So, you know, just for our listeners, so transitioning from a birth doula to a postpartum doula, what are the, the major differences in that? What shows up in the birth doula space and then share with us like what shows up in the postpartum? So in the birth space, I work with families while they're pregnant. Some of them, as soon as they pee on the stick, they're like, you're my doula. We're going through this whole thing. I'll hit you up at 20 weeks to make sure we're still there and everything's okay. Or I have some people who reach out and they say, hey, I'm due next week. And I didn't realize. (laughs) And I don't even know what to expect. Mm. And I come on and I, I coach them through, you know, childbirth education what their what their in their vision of their birth is and how we could get it, how to advocate for themselves and talk to healthcare providers about, you know, prioritizing their own needs. Mm-hmm. And I do I do a follow up postpartum visit, um, where we, you know, just do a, a check in, um, you know, f- go through the birth story, see, yeah. you know, make sure everyone's okay, there's no trauma. If there is trauma, like how do we deal with it? How do we, you know, cope? What what needs what needs to be done? Make sure, you know, baby questions, you want to come with a whole host of questions from parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so answering that and I wouldn't say I transitioned from birth into postpartum, but what I actually did was extend my postpartum services okay. to something more comprehensive. So I meet yeah. with families, um, over four hours is a session where I come in. That's enough time for them to, um, that's enough time to get rest, enough mm-hmm. time for them to eat, enough time for us to talk, and enough time for me to teach. You know, so it that's kind of how those are structured. I also support them overnight with so that they can get the much needed rest and sleep um, to function and yeah. do the thing and the parenting thing with um, enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So that, <laughs> that part yeah, that, enthusiasm. You don't want to. You listen. Like I, I think parenting or in or learning a new baby is like a new job. Yeah. And when we go into a new job, we there's a, a period of training, mm-hmm. and you don't get it right away. And no one's gonna be mad at you for not getting it right away because yeah. you you're still in training. You're still mm-hmm. on probation. So don't expect this. Don't expect to know everything when you meet your baby, and when you don't, it's okay because you're 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 learning your new baby, um, and you're learning yourself, and you're learning what you can do on how much sleep or how little sleep. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I I pretty much just hold parents' hands through that part. Yeah. So so Chris, I wonder how did your own birthing experience shape how you show up? for your clients and the work that you do with them. So one thing about my two birthing experiences was that I was very well supported Mm -hmm. um, and I had my hands held through the way. My first birth was, (laughs) I've never been to a birth like mine. I've never seen (laughs) something like mine. When I went into labor, um, by the time I got to the hospital, Everyone had just gotten out of work around five, six, mm-hmm. and it was also visiting hours at the hospital. Yeah. So I had about 12 people show up and mm-hmm. including, you know, my dad, my daughter's dad, all the, all the grandparents were there. <laughs> my friends were there. My friend's parents came, like everyone came, um, but they were useful. Thank God. You know, my aunt, 
fed me ice and my other aunt rubbed my back. My dad did my breathing with me. Um, My mother-in-law counted my contractions and timed my contractions. Uh, Everyone had a role to play. They gave me things when I needed to throw up. And they also waited, you know, they came around six. I had the baby an hour and a half after that at 727. And they were there to like really cheer us on. And uh, that's how I start. That's how I, I was welcomed into being a parent, like fully, fully, fully supported. Mm-hmm. And, and again, in the postpartum, they, they showed up for me so much. So I think I was also a young parent when I had my, my firstborn. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that I can, you know, I bring to my clients is like no judgment here. You know, like mm-hmm. no judgment, being well supported, having space to communicate their their needs and their desires and their comforts and discomfort. Like, you know, I offer them that same safe space that I had been offered. Um, and that's why doulas really fill the gap. You know, a lot of doulas start this journey, not like me with this accounting yeah. transformation. <laughs> a lot of doulas end up being doulas because they witness um injustice yeah. themselves mm-hmm. in their own birthing experiences you know they might they might have had some birth trauma unnecessary c-sections or interventions um you know medical they might have suffered from medical abuse and mm-hmm. once this happens to them they're like okay i'm going to be a strong advocate against this um and that's also something that shaped so i i have this project to give back for the country where i was born and i gave birth um, in St. Lucia mm-hmm. um, and birth deadly sea and that's kind of the driving force yes. behind that it's because when I did give birth at 19 the things that were said to me by the nurses right it's like oh well when I was like crying or making noise with the contractions during the most intense parts they were like well you didn't know it would hurt you or weren't you making that sound you wasn't making that sound when you were making the baby you know, um, and I witnessed them being so mean oh to God. other families yeah. who were seemingly um, so shameful. Yeah, so shameful, so so shameful. So once I learned what doulas did, how they advocate, how they show up, how they um, they're gentle. I was mm-hmm. like, well, our nurses and our people need to be trained in this. They need a skill set, yeah. you know, because families are so so deserving. Mm-hmm. Of kindness and empathy uh, when they're welcoming life. So yeah, that's that's My that's God. some of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, as you talk about your experience, I remember mine. Well, I had my my first while I was in college, so I'm thinking about mm-hmm. my hospital room, and I remember, um, you know, Lisa, Jeff, <laughs> Julie. Like mm-hmm. I just had this whole entourage. <laughs> <laughs> just there, you know, while giving birth. And and that I did feel supported and, and that felt uh-huh. really good because my partner couldn't be here. And um his mom was visiting, but she she wasn't sure she wanted to be in the room. That was mm-hmm. a, little, a little different for her. Um, but I, I did feel that support. And even after mm-hmm. I continued to feel that in the little community we had at Stadium View. Um, so I felt, I felt really cared for and like, I really had a team. So I can see, you know, firsthand 
how that could be beneficial to a mother. Nice. And I also had a, a doula. So at the time I had this lady who was visiting, I think she was like, it's through the state. So she would uh-huh. come and she did the education part. Um, she would always bring diapers when she visited. <laughs> I love that. That was always nice. <laughs> Because the trip to Walmart at the time was not easy. (laughs) So I remember what that was like. And she would always come in. I think her main role was to assess my mental health. And of course, at the time, I wasn't thinking postpartum depression. Like, I feel like looking back now, I feel like I had bouts of it. But at Mm -hmm. the time, I would just think, well, stress. I mean, I'm in school. Um, My partner is overseas. I'm doing it by myself. So it felt like, some of that stress was natural. I don't think I ever associated it with any part of depression or anxiety, mm-hmm. um, being, you know, away from home with a baby, right. Without the family help and all that, mm-hmm. but it was nice just having her visit. And I think she came every other week or once a month. I can't remember, but yeah. I look forward to those visits. Like she was sitting yeah. right in my bedroom with me and would just talk. Um, so that was nice. Yeah. I had that same experience in um, Grambling. So my second pregnancy was in America. Mm-hmm. And there was Tiffany. I never forgot Tiffany. There was this there was this um, organization, maybe it was called Life Choices or something like that mm-hmm. in Ruston. And okay. I got my first prenatal care there. So my first set of ultrasounds and pregnancy tests and like parent education and diapers. They would, every time you came, they would give you they would give you like something towards your baby registry. Yeah. <laughs> and they gave me Tiffany and Tiffany, like you saying, would come to the apartment, she'd pick me up, she'd I didn't have a car, she'd take me to all my prenatal visits at the hospital, at the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um and I when I sit back, I'm like, Tiffany was a doula. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she was, because, you know, mm-hmm. it's really, doulas really mean women supporting women. Mm-hmm. That's where the name comes from. So yeah. the difference, I would say, between a doula and, you know, just your friends or my people with me is that a doula is trained professionally and we're yeah. trained, you know, mm-hmm. with, in pain management skills, empathetic listening. Um, advocacy, uh, understanding the the whole labor process. So that that's the advantage of having a, a skilled um, doula. Mm-hmm. But you know, just having someone you feel you trust and you feel safe around yeah. gives the same benefits of having a doula. Yeah, and mine was mine was Brandy, and I actually reached out to her. A couple of years ago, she came to my mind. Like I randomly remembered her and I was like, I need to find this lady. I need to find mm-hmm. her and I need to tell her thank you. And I found her on LinkedIn. Wow. <laughs> I found her on LinkedIn and we connected and I re- kind of reminded her of just what she did for me. And yeah, I'm so glad I was able to find her. Yeah. So you offer a number of services, but let's talk about um, just... You know, let's just explore what it means to be a postpartum doula. And you've covered a little bit of it, um, just, you know, breaking down what a doula is. So let's just share, you know, for someone listening for the first time, what is a postpartum doula? Yeah. 
So a postpartum doula is someone who supports you after you've had your baby. So Mm -hmm. postpartum meaning after birth. Um, So as a postpartum doula, I can help um, provide nourishing meals um, or counseling on what to eat to feel rejuvenated. Mm -hmm. I'm an advocate for rest. I also do lactation or feeding counseling. So um, if we're navigating bottle feedings, if we're troubleshooting breastfeeding, I do all of that. Mm-hmm. Newborn care, education, um, learning, uh, sleep cues is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so understand your baby. I also work with families who have you know postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression uh, where they need an even more intentional focus on their transition into parenthood. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like to think parenting is like building a plane while you're flying it. So there's so much that you're learning and while you're trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my approach is very gentle mm-hmm. and very like, yeah, let's just like build this plane. Like we're we're in it, we're doing it, and you know I'm holding your hands, and we're holding hands through it. Um, and it is beautiful to see a lot of my families who maybe have a lot of questions. Breastfeeding is a big thing, right? Breast and chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not everyone has it easy. Not every baby latches on immediately, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it requires a lot of troubleshooting. And it's hard work, you know, it it can be hard work building a supply. And it's it's beautiful to see when at the end of the day or at the end of a couple of weeks, parents, I ask them, I say, so if you could talk to yourself a few weeks ago, what would you say? And they say, it gets better. (laughs) It gets better. You learn how to fly, you know. Um, (laughs) I remember my first time doing it and I was so frustrated that I, you know, I gave my son the bottle for the first week or two mm-hmm. and then my supply kicked in. Um, but it felt really good to get to that stage, but it was so frustrating. Yeah. And I remember my um, mother-in-law, well, my son's grandmother at the time, you know, telling me to just have the baby latch on, like just keep him on there. Like I was yeah. like, that's not what I want to do with my day. I just I just want him <laughs> to be fed and, uh-huh. you know, that we can, you know, we can have some harmony, but it was just uh-huh. so stressful. And, and I think, um, you know, just different generations approach is just so different. And the way it was coming at me, it was just, I felt so triggered, you know, like I wasn't right. doing what I was supposed to do sort of right. thing. Right, <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. you know, that comes up for us too. So if we're, she actually knew what she was saying, because to actually build supply, um, we need to have constant extraction mm-hmm. of milk, yeah. right? Yeah. So a minimum of eight to 12 times a day, you're feeding someone, you're breastfeeding yeah. someone. And pri- that had never happened before, you know? So all of a sudden you're just giving, constantly giving. You know, um, some things you feel a sensation, your nipples might be hurting, your breasts might be sore. So I like to tell families, so let's look at these 12 times and let's break it down into three times, three, three parts of your day. So in the morning, if we're going to feed for four times, what is something that I could do during a feed that is enjoyable, 
something restful, something restorative, mm-hmm. or whatever it is I want to do. Right. And we just keep doing that. Like, are we snacking while feeding? What podcast can I listen to? What show do I want to catch up on? Um, because the other thing that comes up sometimes is motherhood can feel isolating because you used to like have the freedom of going outside, taking a walk, running to the store, meeting up with your friends. But all of a sudden you're in pain, you're bleeding, you're making milk under your arms hurt you. You haven't taken a shower. <laughs> concerned about mastitis. <laughs> concerned about mastitis. Concerned about no supply. Is my, yeah. Does my baby have enough poops and peas? Mm-hmm. You know, I am so tired doing all of this. My partner is not doing the right thing or my partner is doing so much of the right thing. It hurts that I can't even do <laughs> do my part well. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many feelings that come into this. And partners too, you know, non-gestational parents have their own questions. They have their yeah. own role. They have their their own um, hands that need to be held too. You know, how can I be the most supportive partner? How can I avoid burnout? How can I, you know, mm-hmm. be the most helpful and useful? How can I bond with the baby? So all of this chaotic days and nights and then your doula comes in and she gives you some hacks and she shows you some tricks that you did not find on the internet right. um, <laughs> and <laughs> your doula will you know watch a show with you because maybe you just need a friend and you don't need no kind of coaching or education mm-hmm. your doula will hold a baby for you while you eat your baby your doula will hold your baby in a position that you probably haven't seen your baby all day because you've been looking at them from one angle. Yeah. So oftentimes I hold a baby and they're like, oh, wow, you look so big. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they actually seen them, like, from... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. There are just so many different benefits. And I, I listened earlier when you said, you know, necessity. So this is really a necessity. And I think for a lot of people, they see it. And I was even looking at the the posts you shared the other day with the couple who paid for doula services. And apparently the internet is going crazy about it. As um, always. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder, why do you see this as a necessity as opposed to a luxury? Because I think there is this idea that if you have a doula like that is some type of, and I, yeah, it, it, it's a privilege to have that type of care, mm-hmm. but you know, some people see it as, you know, you might be right. really well off and you can afford a doula. Mm-hmm. So share with me, like, you know, why you see it as a necessity. It's kind of like college education or education. Education is a right. We should all have access to quality education, but for some of us, it's really a privilege because some people do not have access to education or higher education. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a privilege, right? So when it comes to a doula, I see it as a necessity because your friends could be your doulas, you know, your the, your community, the people you see every day, those, those people could be your doulas. There are organizations across America that help provide subsidized um, funding for doulas. So families can have doulas. There are ways in which people can get doulas um, affordably. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, so I work both in the community. I do community-based work where we work with, you know, the underserved is how we call them a lot of yeah. times. In New mm-hmm. York. Um, 
And I also work with like people who got it and always had it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, the one thing preventing somebody in the industry from getting the full dual experience is that they don't even have their own housing. Mm-hmm. They might live in a multi-generational household. Yeah. Um, they might be renting a room. They might, you know, live in an extended family where mm-hmm. they don't even have their own privacy. Um, they might be, you know, being caught. Like sometimes you would tell them something and because of the person, the other generation, it would be like, well, my grandmother said X, Y, and Z and I don't want to get her mad. So I'm just going to do what my grandmother said mm-hmm. or my mother-in-law said. So that's, that's something that, that can also be a barrier for yeah. people from accessing um, doula care and doula support. Um, I think it's a necessity, but it can sometimes fall under a privilege. Yeah. Right. To, to, to really get it. Um, more hospitals, you know, it's the responsibility of more hospitals to like mm-hmm. be more open to having doulas and training doulas and training their nurses to be empathetic and learn, you know, different pain and physiological birth techniques. Most hospitals now are baby friendly mm-hmm. where they do provide, you know, more lactation support, skin to skin in a lot of hospitals mm-hmm. now are like a given delayed cord clamping so all the things that we used to have to advocate more for we're seeing the changes and we're seeing the impact but that um the 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 post that you're talking about there's just a a couple got a a postpartum overnight doula um i want to say it was quoted around six thousand dollars so i uh having a postpartum doula come to your house at night is like spending a night at at a hotel Mm mm-hmm Right, so think about your travel, your room, and your food. So it is having a staycation. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I do overnight care, it's when parents are very, very desperate because the baby's waking up every two hours. It has been happening for four weeks. (laughs) They're losing their mind. They might harm the baby by falling asleep themselves while holding the baby. So Mm -hmm. they use their life-saving sometimes their their emergency fund um you know but i think if if we made access to doulas more available to more families and changing the narrative around like how can family be supportive so you know giving baby shower gifts um (laughs) or making sure that you know maybe you have a friend or a bestie making sure that friend or bestie does a childbirth education class or does an infant and newborn care class do does a little these are usually shorter and more affordable like they can run under one hundred dollars so if you could do stuff like that or if people mm-hmm. around you can do stuff like that they are they can at least support you with um quality information yeah. and evidence-based information yeah and i can see that because i did do yeah i did do the uh my husband and i we did the childbirth class um let me tell you the difference between my first and my second born experience has been like night and day. Mm-hmm. So we did the childbirth experience, um, the experience, the childbirth class. So we were prepared for all the things. And I think it's great. I think it's great what the hospital is doing, but even with the birth plan that I had and all the things, I felt like none of that was taken into consideration because I found mm-hmm. myself being extremely anxious the day of my birth. Like there was so much Mm -hmm. happening. All of a sudden my 
doctor was planning to be out of town the week of my delivery. And now I'm like, okay, if I need her, I mean, I've been seeing her this whole time. If I need her to deliver the baby, now I'm having to now consider a C-section, which I mean, there was no reason for me to do that. So I was like crunching numbers and doing all of that stuff like in the middle of trying to prepare myself to deliver this baby that was stressful and then even with my pain management I had so many great tools that I had learned through the classes Mm -hmm. and I had included in my birth plan but when it got to the day I was so I was so um wired up that even turning Mm -hmm. around on my knees was going to be a problem. Like I oh, ended up yeah. feeling more stressed than, you know, I imagined that I would have to feel on that day. So I don't know. I just felt like the experience and and yes, it, I delivered the baby and everything um, turned out great, but that wasn't the experience I was trying to have. And, and that's right. one reason why I would probably not use the hospital for my childbirth mm-hmm. my, if, if I have a third baby because mm-hmm. um, that's not what I want that's that's not the experience I I'm trying to have right. so I feel like while the hospitals do a good job at you know starting to take on some of those new measures and mm-hmm. including some of these procedures like I just feel like some hospitals really struggling incorporating it oh yeah in oh yeah the whole actual childbirth experience. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, they could be so conservative. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, a common myth is also that doulas only work in home birth, but doulas also work in the hospital. Yeah, that's what I'm learning now. Most of my are actually at the hospital. Mm -hmm. A myth, doulas don't work with people with epidurals. That's Mm -hmm. a big myth. Mm -hmm. I work with people who have epidurals. Um, And that's sometimes what we got to do. We get doulas got to be like, helping you through those wires because you're strapped onto so many things. Yes. You can't, you know, it, it can be limiting, but doulas like myself, we have a, we have skill sets that can, you know, show you the tips and the tricks using the birth balls, using different positions. Mm-hmm. I had all of that. Help things keep moving. <laughs> you had all mm-hmm. of No, I had all of these things on my birth plan that. Oh man. <laughs> Was never utilized. The yeah. only thing I could have done was try to go on my knees, and even with that, like it seems like they were annoyed with me because I kept moving, which was one of my ways of maintaining and you know managing my pain. Mm-hmm. Exactly, that happens. We see that often. I all I that's I will be honest. That's the one thing sometimes I get into a little trouble with nurses at a more conservative hospital. Well, she can't do that because. I need the monitor on. So I'm like, can you just hang out with us in the room then and just hold the monitor and like mm-hmm. we need to open up the birth canal. It, it won't open laying down. So, so your birth plan, a doula tip is to don't wait until the day of to try to bring it up. Oh yeah. I yeah, send my, I fax mine in early. Yeah. Like a month before. Exactly, a month before. It has to be an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. with your care provider. Yeah. You know, so those meet the times that you get to meet with them are so short sometimes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you want every time you meet them, so doc, we could do this, right? And doc, we could do that, right? And sometimes I even tell families, you can call. Call the labor and delivery ward, speak to a nurse on call and just ask some of the questions. 
Would I be able to use a birth ball? Will I be able to have intermittent monitoring? You know, when when do you suggest I get an, an epidural? Would, would I be forced for an epidural? What if I deny an epidural? Like, you want to have those conversations um, and don't just, you know, go in. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for that insight here. So I wonder too, um, in, in these experiences, what do you see and experience throughout that, that process, um, that, you know, helps you see the benefit, right. Of having that additional support and, and maybe from hospital to home with brand new baby, what do you see happening different? Definitely decreasing C-sections. Having oftentimes I'm advocating for more time because hospital has all these to have all these policies on how fast you should dilate or how much you should push. So when I'm around, I'm like, hey doc, I want to try X, Y, and Z. It will take X, Y, and Z long, but the results would be, you know, we know that the baby might engage more. We can open up the pel the, the upper pelvis. And they will, it will buy them time. We could do the physiological things and we avoid intervention. Sometimes they want to offer, well, maybe we should put some pits so the contractions are coming in. And I, I would ask, I say, can I do some acupressure? You have some acupressure points you could, you could do mm-hmm. on the body to bring on the contractions. So we're not adding anything extra to the body. Um, definitely seeing better success at breastfeeding, you know, advocating mm-hmm. for that golden hour, advocating for skin to skin, helping with that first initial latch within the first hour leads to more success. Um, working for doula there is less intervention in general, which leads to having even a better postpartum and healing, healing time. Um, some of the experience I see in the postpartum world is, you know, meeting parents who are at a, a point of, some kind of struggle, especially with breastfeeding or understanding sleeping cues. Um, and you show, you show them like a basic trick, like you could put on white noise on YouTube for free with a black screen and I can change the whole game. Yeah. You know, I can show up a mom who's having a hard time with her breast pump. And she, she's like, I just got to wash all the parts. And you could show her like, hey, you could put it in a Ziploc and put it in the fridge and then use it again. And it's like, wait, what? Um, but it, it can change <laughs> so much. Those one yes. little mm-hmm. tiny little changes. Yeah, because I remember that being time consuming. Like every night we had a routine, of, you know, around. And then we we got the um, someone had gifted me the microwavable bags, mm-hmm. so we, mm-hmm. we we did that with the the parts. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that was such a huge help in you know saving on time, right? Time that we could be spending together. Exactly, exactly. And you know, there's there's um. Like you said, time to get up. You don't want to forget yourself and forget yourself within your marriage or your relationship, mm-hmm. um, which can often happen. Yes. So when you when you can divide the labor, when you can have those hacks and make some of the time shorter for things, and really talk about everyone's role, that can really save save your relationship. Yeah, yeah, because relationships are tested. <laughs> A new baby can really, really like change things, and oh, yeah. and it's not 
you know, I don't think it'd have to be that way if, if we sit down and we figure out a plan, a division of labor plan. Right. But oftentimes, especially early on, um, there were areas where I felt overwhelmed. And of course, I too was transitioning from being a single mother to now having a, a husband, right? So I had mm-hmm. some maybe behaviors I had to modify because I felt like right. I could have been very controlling and feeling like I had to do all of these things. So for me, that was a bit of a challenge now coming into, well, I, yeah, they were there to help. They they have their part to play in this too. Right. So that was, that was a little different, but we're able to navigate it. And even now, I think we have a really good system, you know, where he's the one who does, um, you know, he, does all the morning prep with the baby, preparing him for daycare. Um, okay. So that really helps so I can focus on my eldest. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, we developed a good system. Um, mm-hmm, but I know not everyone has that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just asking for help, I think too. Oh, yeah. That's a big part because we feel like we should be doing all of it. And I think yeah. having a doula can really help us understand what what the roles of the other people around us are yeah i often do that i create safe spaces like let's talk about the hard stuff or i have sometimes a parent would text me hey when you come can you bring this up <laughs> so mm-hmm. he can hear it or she can hear it from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I get it sometimes oh with the grandparents my in-laws are here can you mention this can you Tell them how good my breastfeeding is. <laughs> you know, yes, so a, a, light, I, a light plug. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Definitely be, being that mm. plug all the time. Um, yeah, but um, it's it's definitely a new a new thing. You know, if you live in the Americas, you parents or the parent who didn't give birth would usually have to go back to work um, soon. Um, so even all of that transition, I help a lot of people transition with like, I will be spending majority of the time with the baby, you know, when my partner goes back to work or my partner might need to sleep because they have a demanding job. How do we navigate these tough times? I was listening to the Michelle Obama podcast and they said that introducing a baby into a marriage or a relationship is like shaking a house and the baby will let every loose screw that was holding his marriage together. Mm-hmm. Himself. Yeah. And that is so true. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. so true. But it could also show you the strengths, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes their partners are redeemed once they see how they see them in action of being a parent yeah. and like a loving partner. So it could be, it could go both ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is so true because I think even in, coming into my relationship, um, you know, I, I feel like there was assumed gender roles <laughs> because, you know, my husband, you know, is Hispanic. And um, I think after the baby, I got to see a whole different side of him, like how involved he is in like meal planning and, you know, handling, you know, you know, just the, the kids and all these things. Um uh-huh. I think I, I did see a lot of strengths show up there. Uh-huh. 
So you're right, you know, and of course there are weaknesses. We had to work in communication. Now we had to have a plan for how do we approach the week? How do we plan the holidays? How, you know, all of these things, you know, just being able to communicate about that has been Mm -hmm. welcomed. (laughs) It's made things so much better. Right. Also on that same um, podcast, there was, um, was it Conan O'Brien? I forget who the guest was. He was, and yeah, I remember it. Mm-hmm. Woman, yeah, and he, he said his wife had some difficulties with breastfeeding. And he's like, I came home and there were these witches there. I'm pretty sure they were <laughs> witches. And they put cabbage on her breast. I think he had a lactation doula consultant slash doula come to his home. Yeah. I think that's what the description mm-hmm. was. <laughs> like, <these> witches. <laughs> <laughs> no, and him, he had to make it funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What about intimacy? Because I know um, for most people, they're asked to wait um, six weeks. So I wonder what you mm-hmm. see, what trends you notice, and what comes up. Because you're in the home with these, you know, families. Yeah. Yeah. How does some of that come up? And you know, I wonder if they're having these conversations with you and, and what do you, yeah. what tips do you give them? They don't bring up so much. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about intimacy more so in birth because there's a major role that being close with your beloved um, plays an impact with boosting your oxytocin, all your feel-good hormones, yeah. all those pain relief hormones. Um, so I always recommend like, you know, hugging and kissing, hand holding, dancing, mm-hmm. um, even sex in early labor, all those things help birth progress. So we have yeah. a very candid and open conversation about, you know, what brought the baby in is what's going to get the baby out. When it comes to postpartum, I think everyone's so tired. They don't even think about it <laughs> <laughs> from at least those first six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation around birth control comes up more than sex mm-hmm. and intimacy. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe that, maybe that could be a new in. Maybe I should make like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, and I think even when we talk, when we think about the six weeks, I think for some people, they imagine hands off totally, but there is still other ways we can, you know, whether it's from a massage or Mm -hmm. even a clitoral massage, you know, those things are welcomed. Um, I think sometimes it's just, we just straight up don't want penetration um, right right away, but there are ways we can still get some of those hormones, <laughs> you know, those feelings. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to explore, what is, what are some signs of postpartum depression that you might look for as you're in the home with these families and how can loved ones, um, you know, recognize when a mom is struggling? Right. Um, so when I go, I look for extreme sadness, um, sometimes a parent might tell you audibly that, you know, they're struggling. They hurt. It hurts. They don't want to be with the baby. Um, they don't feel like the baby is theirs. They don't want the baby. Um, severe difficulties with getting out of bed, not wanting to go through the day. Sometimes you come in and it's, although, you know, it's late or something, the lights will be off. They will be sitting in dark darkness, not eating. One in seven women, you know, are affected by this. So one in seven people who give birth 
are affected by this. So it's it's more common than we think. Yeah. Um. Sometimes it can be. Um. People might think, oh well, it's the baby blues that come, but you know, it's sometimes like a bout of sadness, some crying, some anxiety. But with the postpartum mood disorders, there's more panic attacks, pain in the body, um, generally more severe. So partners should, you know, know their person, um, create spaces where they can be vulnerable and open and truthful and honest and talk about, you know, their feelings. But most partners, you know, because it's so severe, um, it can sometimes be easier to to identify, I actually suffered in my first time with um, postpartum, I think it was even psychosis because I was mm-hmm. seeing and hearing things that were not there. And I remember my dad coming in when he was like, I guess he realized how bad it was. And he says, listen, something's got to change because when the ambulance comes to get you, they're going to have to write mentally altered status on your intake. And that was, that was like, that was somebody calling out, you know, mm-hmm. that I was not in a good space yeah. um, in the postpartum room. So uh, I think, you know, when we mention, you know, single motherhood, when we talk about the wanting to do it all and we become super parents quite often, people associate a lot of that with suffering, necessary suffering, right? We see that quite often in, you know, in our black communities and in our island com- homes where mothers should be strong. Mothers should, you know, bear it all. Mothers should keep pushing. So a lot of people actually push past a lot of mental health things mm-hmm. back home. <laughs> yeah. Um, or a lot of partners who don't, who are, you know, traditionally rooted in like mothers should suffer. That's that's what comes with motherhood. They might ignore it and be like, well, you just got to keep doing it um, and be resilient. And that's why we, in spaces where if someone has an overnight doula, a lot of people might think that's a luxury because they're so okay with motherhood with struggle and and sufferation according to the people (laughs) that any kind of help seems like a luxury you know I have I can I can tell you you know when I work with people who look like me oftentimes it's harder for them to say like I'm gonna get a house cleaner I'm gonna just get somebody else to do it I'm gonna send the laundry off you know it takes a lot of work for them to feel like they didn't fail because yeah. they asked for help. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So I, I, so I wonder, like, so even as you give that example, you know, like, what are some of the most challenging parts, you know, of your job? Parts of my job, personally, I work long hours. <laughs> um, I work overnight. Tiring. I, I, I'm often. I'm sharing a bedtime routine of a new parent too, so I can be out of whack mm-hmm. uh, sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's sometimes hard to see parents struggle with their own anxiety mm-hmm. and their own depression. Uh, it's hard sometimes when I I end up building a bond with an infant um, because I maybe spend so much time with them and then I have to say bye. Yeah, <laughs> that, one, that one's hard. 
Um, so draw, learning how to draw boundaries. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like you know, professionally and personally, the hardest part is the toll that it takes on the on the body and and the psyche and mm-hmm. doing it, the times and 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 that. Um, but you know, some of the difficult parts, you know, is on the parent side or from other people is is seeing them not be supported sometimes in the home. Mm-hmm. So now, now that you've covered the most challenging parts, I wonder what are some of the best parts of your job? The best parts, um, baby smells. Mm-hmm, I love it. <laughs> Newborn cuddles. I sometimes cry <laughs> when I'm, let's say, with a baby for an extended period of time or mm-hmm. meeting them over the weeks and then they do something new. So when I'm working with them and, you know, they're still looking like little aliens and their eyes right. are closed. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're, like, making cooling sounds and yeah. trying to, like, cool communicate. <laughs> I Very often I would shed a tear. Sometimes I'm there for some of the first Mm-hmm. You know, I'm there when the umbilical cord falls out. I'm there for the first, like, different sound or thing. So it, it always, like, pulls on my heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very lucky to work with incredible families. You know, like, I, I'm very, very lucky in that way. I, I would say, you know, being a doula is having a doula. That's an intimate relationship that you're having mm-hmm. with someone. So there's, you know, an interviewing process. And I have to feel like I can vibe with the person. And they can yeah. have to feel like they can vibe with me. I've been very fortunate to work with incredible people and incredible families who welcome me into their homes. Um, and I, I'm, you know, still part of their life well after that first year of their child's life. Um, those are some of the best parts, seeing them achieve their goals. You know, some people have, I want to breastfeed for six months. And even though it's difficult, seeing them, you know, work hard, be resilient, do all the things with so much grace, um, that, that makes me feel really good. Yeah. Um, seeing them and that, uh, yeah, that's, that's some of the best parts. Oh my God. That's beautiful. That is, that is beautiful. So any final words for our, our listeners? So for anyone who might be on the fence and might be considering, um, these services, anyone who's pregnant or has a newborn right now, um, what would you say to someone? It's not up for consideration. Do it. Get it. Interview people. Go on the internet. Find doulas in your city. Find doulas in your in your state that can maybe help you. Find um, find a vibe. Find your, your tribe, your village. Um, there, find, you can look into, ask your hospitals. Um, or you could search, like, free doula services. Those things can be helpful for you find, yeah. find access. Um, reach out to Birth and Baby Services at www.birthandbabyservices.com. We often help families find doulas, out, um, even though it's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you go to childbirth education classes and newborn care classes, not from your hospital. Those classes make you a good patient. <laughs> um, but if you take outside from your hospital, you could have a more comprehensive understanding of your childbirth experience. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And how can our listeners connect with you? And um, what other cities do you work in? So with your certification, um, is that nationwide, international? It's international. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm trained um, internationally. I, you could find me at www.birthandbabyservices.com. That's the best way to find me. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on this Saturday morning. You're, you're an amazing Saturday morning guest. <laughs> Yes. Thank you so much. I am honored and grateful to have you. I've been talking about us meeting up and having this conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad we we're able to do it. And I look forward to hanging with you when yes. I'm in New York. <laughs> yes, please. I want that so bad. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much. And you have a great day. Have a good day. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on socials, and leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can check out our new website at www.hersexualspace.com or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Sexual Space and Her Sexual Space Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Bye. This episode has been sponsored by Simple Practice, the leading practice management platform for private practitioners everywhere. More than 100,000 professionals use Simple Practice to power telehealth sessions, schedule appointments, file insurance claims, market their practice, and so much more, all on one HIPAA-compliant platform. Get your first $100 towards your first month of Simple Practice when you sign up for an account today. This exclusive offer is valid for new customers only. Go to www.simplepractice.com slash hersexualspace to learn more.